This is C-SPAN's Afterwards podcast. This week, Congressman Ken Buck, Republican from Colorado, discusses his book, Crushed, Big Tech's War on Free Speech. He argues that big tech companies like Apple and Google are hurting commerce and censoring speech. He's interviewed by Wall Street Journal reporter Ryan Tracy. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, Congressman, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'd like to ask you, start by asking you just a broad question about this book. What is the message of this book? What's the one thing you're trying to get across? Well, uh, Ryan, thank you for uh, reading the book, first of all, and, and uh, being willing to host this, uh, this program. And, and I have to tell you, the motivation for writing this book and the message that I want to get across are one and the same. And that is that uh, allowing uh, four monopolies, uh, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google, to control the flow of information in a democracy is dangerous to the democracy. It is dangerous whether you're on the right or whether you're on the left. And it is something that we all need to uh, be very aware of and take action to make sure that we are protecting uh, our elections and, and our, uh, our system of government. Well, and I look forward to getting into a number of aspects of that point. Let me start, though, with how you came to this. You're a conservative Republican. Um, how did you come to this issue and, and this perspective? Well, I was the, uh, in the last Congress, uh, the 117th Congress, I was the uh, ranking Republican on the antitrust subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee. And uh, having been on the antitrust subcommittee, the, the previous Congress, uh, we started an investigation of these tech companies um, during the last Congress, we uh, offered legislation, and uh, during that whole process, I learned a lot about uh, monopoly, antitrust law, uh, competition policy, and uh, all of that combined led me to the conclusion that there's a real danger. You write in the book about a, I don't know if you'd call it epiphany, but but sort of a moment where uh, you were in your home state, and this issue was kind of <clears throat> driven home for you. And this issue was kind of driven home for you as something that was important to focus on. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah. So we had a field hearing, which is basically a, a hearing that's outside of Washington D.C. And it was in Boulder at the University of Colorado Law School um, in Colorado. We refer to Boulder as 28 square miles surrounded by reality. 
So I wasn't real excited to go to Boulder. It was a cold morning in the winter, and I wasn't excited to go out uh, in, in that morning in that weather. <clears throat> but uh, I went to this, this hearing. I also felt like I knew what the answer was, that the free market would deal with this issue involving tech. And so uh, for all those reasons, it just wasn't something I was real motivated to go do. And I was the only Republican that was going to be at this hearing. I went and listened to the testimony of the witnesses, and we had a lunch uh, where we heard informally from some other companies uh, who are competitors with these companies. And my conclusion was that the market wasn't going to take care of this issue, that that these companies were so big, so powerful, um, and so anti-competitive that it would be decades uh, before uh, startups, before um, there would be disruptors in this industry that would change the the situation. And so that was really the, the moment that I uh, embraced this antitrust solution to what I saw as a, a very serious problem. And you write that afterwards, you were actually excited to come to Washington for once, which I guess tells us a little bit about what it's like to be a congressman uh, from day to day. But why, why were you excited? Well, I was excited to get back to D.C. and, and start working on something that, that was really important and get together with my colleagues. I've visited more than 80 Republican congressmen to talk to them about uh, this issue and why uh, these bills, the bills that we eventually came up with, are so important. Let's come back to that because I want to hear you know, how these ideas are being received in Congress. I want to hear about um, you know, how you're doing on this, on this journey. But before we do, let's describe the problem here. And what, what I found interesting is you're, you're trying to connect sort of these, this idea of the free market and, and the market in which most businesses operate to this concept of the marketplace of ideas. And, you know, if we think about each of the companies that you mention or sort of highlight in the book, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Apple, and we think about free speech, for, in the cases of Google and Facebook... I think people wouldn't understand, you know, Facebook, there's a lot of speech on Facebook. Google owns YouTube, and so there's a tremendous amount of speech happening on YouTube. But to connect that, that idea of the marketplace ideas to the free market, let's talk about Amazon and Apple for a minute. What, what do you see as the competition with Amazon, and how does that relate to, excuse me, the competition problem with Amazon, and how does that relate to free speech? Sure. So Amazon obviously has Amazon videos and and, uh, there have been, as I point out in the book, a number of examples where uh, Amazon took videos off uh, during certain time periods because it didn't fit with their narrative. And and overall, the uh, idea that Amazon is acting in a uh, uh, a way in in terms of retailing, I I give an example of uh, their uh, predatory pricing uh, with another uh, product. I think it was the diaper market and how the uh, their their actions in the market in the business marketplace uh, they were able to uh, uh, suppress uh, the the competition in that marketplace and uh, also how they suppress viewpoints in the uh, in the marketplace of ideas uh, on their video side. So it isn't um, as direct a link. Uh, obviously, with with Google, you've got uh, in a, a company that controls the search and their their algorithm can yield results uh, that 
Um, so it, and we know that in, in June, for example, June of 2020, the, uh, uh, Google changed its algorithm and it benefited Joe Biden and it disadvantaged Donald Trump. Um, it, that kind of direct link isn't there with Amazon, but their business practice of uh, finding a competitor um, and crushing that competitor to um, make sure that they have this, and oftentimes with illegal conduct, in my view, uh, uh, so that they have this, they maintain their monopoly status. Um, they use that same uh, 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 strategy when it comes to competing viewpoints that they don't like um, in in uh, with their video and in, in, in their book sales, for example. Uh, they have um, uh, shadow banned a number of books. Uh, Ryan Anderson's book on uh, on uh, transgender. Um, issues is one that that they uh, I think it's when I forget the name of the book, but but uh, it, it is uh, it, it, their 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 dominance in the book selling marketplace and their willingness to uh, not sell or shadow ban certain books is is an example of how they influence that that marketplace of ideas. And how about Apple? What, what, what are the competition problems you see there, and how does it relate to the bigger theme that you're bringing up? Well, I, in, in Apple, I give a couple of examples of uh, how they acted in uh, China. But I think Apple, uh, in, in, uh, there was a, uh, an app, um, uh, HK.map, uh, which was a, a, a map uh, or an app that allowed the protesters in China to identify where the police were so that they could go someplace else and protest. Um, and the Chinese government, Chinese communist government uh, told Apple to take the app off and they took the app off. They told them to take the Bible app off and they took the Bible app off. They told them to take the Quran app off and they did. Um, um, and so in, in certainly in China, it's, it's obvious that the Chinese communist party is able to influence speech through uh, uh, Apple's uh, App Store. Um, in this country, what we saw with Parler right after the January 6th riots in the U.S. Capitol, uh, we saw that uh, Apple was the first to move to, and, and took Parler off of its App Store. Now, we know that, that some of the rioters were using Parler. We also know that some of the rioters were using Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Twitter and Facebook uh, didn't suffer any of the repercussions that Parler suffered. And soon after Parler acted, um, Amazon Web Services acted also to uh, take down Parler, and uh, Parler was a conservative alternative uh, to, quit, to, to Twitter. And I should state, since the companies aren't on here, that you know, from their perspective, uh, they say that they don't operate based on political bias, and and I think they would, uh, you know, portray themselves as as corporations who are sort of doing their best to operate within the rules of the jurisdictions where they are based and where they're operating. Um, but let me let me ask you about your solutions here. So what's the primary legislative solution you see and that you're advocating for on Capitol Hill? You know, there's really a package, uh, Ryan, that uh, I, I think are important to look at. Um, any one of them doesn't necessarily get the job done, but combined, I think they're important. So we know, uh, for example, with Google, that Google controls the buy side of digital advertising, the sell side of digital advertising, and they bought a company called DoubleClick that is the auction house for digital advertising. So 
They, they control the whole area of digital advertising. Um, that revenue stream and uh, that control gives them the ability to, to uh, affect uh, speech in, in this country. And I think it's, uh, and, and Senator Lee offered the bill with, with Senator Klobuchar in the Senate. Um, I have the bill with uh, Senator, or, uh, Congressman Cicilline in the House. Um, and what, we're, what we would, uh, the, the, the bill and, and the solution really is that um, a company the size of Google can uh, engage on the buy side or the sell side, um, or it can operate the auction house, but it can't do more than one of those. Um, and that same uh, uh, legislation would apply to a company the size of, of Facebook. So uh, it would uh, immediately bring competition into that area uh, of the marketplace. That has huge, that would have a huge impact on uh, small town newspapers and, and other, uh, uh, other um, uh, sources, other uh, products that are offered on uh, Google that, that would be uh, uh, important uh, that those, those um, products get some of the revenue from people reading what they read uh, after they search on, on Google. Another one of the uh, bills that I think is really important, I call it the non-discrimination bill. Um, it is in the Senate, I think, referred to as the Klobuchar-Grassley bill. And, and it is basically a, a bill that says that Apple can't charge Spotify 30% surcharge on its app store just because Spotify competes with Apple Music. Apple can't charge uh, and can't discriminate um, uh, for against apps that are competitive with any of their uh, products. It would say to Amazon uh, and restrict Amazon from uh, finding a product that is selling well on the Amazon platform. Amazon then goes out and replicates the product and uh, sells that product and benefits its product by putting it at the top of the uh, search and putting the product that they had entered into a contract with to sell on their platform and uh, putting that product on page two or three of the search. So they, uh, you can't discriminate once you have a monopoly platform like these four companies have, you can't discriminate against the other products that are on your platform. And that second bill that you mentioned was one that it, last year, 2022, uh, was you know, at least at the forefront of a lot of these debates on Capitol Hill. And I gather that you were writing the book while that was still being debated last year. We got to the end of the year and it didn't pass. What happened? Well, it passed the the uh, House Judiciary Committee and, and was sent to the floor and it was never called up on the floor by Speaker Pelosi for a vote. Um, I, I believe it passed the Senate Judiciary Committee. I'm not sure about that, but um, again, it wasn't uh, called uh, by uh, Senator Schumer for a vote on the floor. So I, I think we have uh, a good bipartisan coalition of members who uh, recognize the, uh, the role of antitrust law. Uh, it isn't the only solution, but it is part of the solution for this, this problem. And the uh, leadership in, uh, in the Democrat Party on both sides uh, refused to call up bills that would have been part of that solution. Now, we'll see with a Republican-controlled House, this, this uh, Congress, whether we are calling up some of those bills to, to be considered or not. What was, your, what, was the reaction, or 
what is the reaction that you get when you speak to conservatives and Republicans about this issue? You know, at first, um, it, it is it is a fairly technical issue. We're talking about the uh, Sherman Act that was passed in the 1800s, the Clayton Act passed in 1913, uh, and and all of the case law that has been generated since that time uh, interpreting this, and then uh, a new economy. Uh, obviously, our founders uh, didn't anticipate, nor did the writers of the Sherman Act and Clayton Act anticipate e-commerce and social media. And so uh, we have a new economy. We're trying to apply old law. And what I have to explain to people is it's not the court's job to make this adjustment. It it is uh, our job under Article One of the Constitution to legislate. And we should be legislating and updating these laws to apply to a completely different uh, type of economy. And as I explain uh, that, um, as well as the purpose of these bills, as well as give examples of how these companies have uh, discriminated and really unfairly and I believe illegally discriminated against their competitors, then the light goes off at that point. And all we want uh, as as conservatives, and I think uh, the same is true on the other side of the aisle, is competition. I I don't want to punish big. Uh, big isn't bad to me. Big is successful. Big is a, a genius and, and hardworking people that have put together a, a product that attracts consumers. And, and I'm all for uh, that, that, that market-driven success. What I'm opposed to are these companies making sure the next generation of success uh, is, is not um, allowed. And that's where I think my fellow Republicans and conservatives look at this and say, yeah, if we're going to compete with China in the, the, the next decade or two, we've got to make sure we, we continue to innovate. And innovation is America's strength. And if we um, continue to innovate, we will be leaders. But we're never going to have a lower cost of labor or uh, lower environmental regulations or other other issues that they have in China. So the only way for us to compete is to innovate. And if we allow these companies to crush innovation, we won't be uh, getting there. And and how is that message received when you talk to colleagues? I think it's received well. Um, you know, we were able to get 39 votes on uh, three uh, procedural antitrust bills uh, that, that are important. They're not the substantive bills that I've talked about uh, in the digital advertising market or the, the non-discrimination area, but uh, they were important bills. And we were able to get 39 uh, Republicans on board. Um, I think we probably had 50 votes before uh, some of the uh, uh, people who were opposed to these bills um, got into the, the whipping process. So um, I think there are probably 50 to 80 Republicans who would embrace uh, some of these other bills. Hmm. Why is antitrust the solution here? Let, let me explain that question a little bit. Some of the issues that you write about have to do, for example, with you know someone posting something on Facebook and then having that taken down or censored by the company. And when you talk about a bill that would uh, you know, deal with self-preferencing of a company's products, it, that may not necessarily directly apply to a situation like that with Facebook, even though the concerns about content moderation and how these companies uh, you know, do or don't treat a given piece of content is a big driver of concerns about big tech in general. 
So why do you think antitrust is the right answer here in terms of a policy prescription for these concerns about big tech? So I think antitrust is one of uh, three um, uh, policies uh, and, and areas that we need to move forward on. Um, th- when you talk about uh, Facebook taking down uh, content, um, I think we're looking at Section 230 also in, in that area. And I think we're also looking at, at privacy issues. And so it's antitrust and 230 and privacy that really uh, need to come together to address these problems. But uh, specifically the Facebook issue that, that you mentioned, if Facebook uh, gets a call from the White House and they're told, uh, we don't like what this person is saying about vaccines. We don't like what this person's saying about masks. We don't like what this person's saying about some other area. And Facebook acts on that information. Um, you now have government interfering in the marketplace of ideas. You've got government determining or, or uh, having speech uh, taken down that they couldn't take down directly. And and that's really the fear here is that, that government is acting indirectly in an area that it couldn't act directly in. If, if for example, the, uh, uh, the White House called uh, the, the company who prints the Wall Street Journal or distributes the Wall Street Journal and says, you know, there's a story coming out tomorrow that we didn't like, uh, that we don't like, we want you to not distribute this uh, this information. Um, that's scary, and 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 it's it goes so far against what we believe uh, in terms of freedom of speech and freedom of the press that uh, it it offends us. Now, tech is doing that, and yet it isn't really you know we don't put it in the category of speech or press because it's a private company. Um, if it's influenced by government. Uh, it is acting in its stead, and I think the law applies in that way. Thank you for that. Let's come back to that issue of the government getting involved in content moderation. I, I want to ask one question before we do that. So you, you talk about free speech, and when we are all kind of going about our business on, on a daily basis, we obviously have the First Amendment to protect us when we say things or write things, publish things. But that freedom isn't unlimited. There's, you know, there's certain speech that's considered harmful. You know, the obvious answer or the obvious example is yelling fire in a crowded theater or something along those lines. So is, is some speech online harmful or are you saying that you believe all speech ought to be allowed? No. Um, so, so, you know, Let's go back to the time when uh, the Internet was was new and uh, Congress came together and had to grapple with the uh, idea of just how much uh, how much um, freedom, how much uh, how little regulation are we going to allow in this area? And they came up with a uh, I I think a, a, a reasonable uh, definition. They were concerned about child porn being on the internet, and they were concerned about uh, terrorists recruiting on the internet. They were concerned about drug deals on the internet. And so they 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 came up with a uh, a standard in Section 230 that immunized these platforms because the platforms don't create the speech. They're just really the the bulletin board, the the public square where the speech is allowed to be uh, voiced. And so they uh, had a standard of, of you know, uh, danger. Um, is there a danger um, in, in this area? And if there is a danger, then um, Facebook, Twitter, uh, others can take that speech down 
without being uh, sued. They have a, they have an immunity from from suit. But then Congress went too far and they put in the term otherwise objectionable. And that's where I think conservatives really have the problem. And, and, and we need to make sure that what is objectionable to um, a liberal uh, business executive in Silicon Valley may not be objectionable to a uh, farmer in rural Colorado. And, and to take down that speech inhibits the, uh, the ability of Americans to interact and grow. We should be challenging uh, the efficacy of vaccines and masks. Um, that doesn't mean to say we should be putting false information out. It doesn't mean to say uh, that we should be uh, putting people in, in jeopardy if they rely on uh, something they read. But Americans have to make sure they, they consider various sources and then make a decision. We shouldn't be in the, in the role of determining what sources of information Americans should receive. So it sounds like you do agree there is a there should be some content moderation. It's not sort of a, a total free for all where anyone can say anything online. It, and if there is a line and somebody's got to set that line, it, it, the the current situation we have now is it's the companies that on a daily basis are are the, the ones who ultimately make the decision where that line is. Won't someone always be screaming at you? You know, I mean, if you it, you might. These are judgment calls, what's false and true or what's harmful and what isn't. Um, in other words, how do you solve this problem when it may just always, isn't there always going to be this problem? Um, I, I think there will be around the edges. The problem has grown uh, so large now with with the otherwise objectionable term that uh, you can drive a Mack truck through otherwise objectionable We've got to have uh, a, a a very narrowly defined set of dangers. You can't have child porn on the internet, um, uh, and, and if it's taken down, the company is immunized from uh, putting that uh, on the internet um, uh, or taking it down from the internet. You can't have uh, you know recruiting terrorists. We we have to have a narrowly defined area. The rest is up to speech. If people disagree about masks, let's have that debate in this country. We're a better country because of that debate um, than we are. You know, you know. another example is uh, whether uh, kids under the age of 12 should be getting vaccines. That, that was a huge debate, whether we should force service members out of the military because they refuse to get a vaccine. Those are issues that we should be debating and, and issues that should be open to uh, the, the free-for-all uh, of free speech. Is there a difference in your mind between freedom of speech and freedom of reach? You know, I, I, I didn't invent that distinction, but it is one that people bring up in this context. In other words, Facebook might allow someone to post something but decide not not to promote that piece of content to others. And it sounds like you think conservatives sort of get the short end of the stick on both of those scores, but it isn't it ultimately Facebook's decision what it's going to promote? Well, it's Facebook's decision. Um, the problem we have is there's only one Facebook. If there were eight Facebooks, we could go to Fox News and Newsmax, or we could go to CNN and um, MSNBC, and we could get a variety of opinions. And, and those companies determine what they promote, and consumers determine what they choose. When there's no choice, because there's only one Facebook and they dominate this social media space, we have a problem. 
And so my answer isn't to tell Facebook, this you have to promote this or you can't promote this. My, my solution is there should be five Facebooks. There should be seven Googles. There should be a, enough choice for consumers that we don't allow a company to control the flow of information, the, the speech that is heard in this country. I want to bring up one of the arguments that that the companies we're talking about make against your bill here. For one thing, they, they don't think they are monopolies. You know, Facebook, for example, would point and say, well, look at TikTok. This is a competitor to us that's grown and now has a huge user, user base. What, why are they monopolies in your view? And what do you think of their argument that there is competition in this industry? Yeah, that's nonsense. They're, they're, you, when you look at Facebook, uh, we have a, an email from Mark Zuckerberg where he said, we need to uh, take Instagram out. We need to buy Instagram. It doesn't matter what the cost is. They could become a competitor to us if we don't buy them. Um, they know exactly what they need to do to maintain their monopoly status in, in the business marketplace. And they've done it. Uh, and, and nobody is suggesting that, that Google search engine isn't a a monopoly. No one is suggesting that uh, what Google is doing with digital advertising isn't a, a monopoly. Um, they, they can make that argument and, uh, you know, people can say, well, a, a competitor will rise, not when you've got the uh, the situation that you have where they identify uh, future disruptors and, and they go in and they buy them, oftentimes just putting them on the shelf. There were 750 mergers that, that occurred in the tech area during the Obama administration, and not one of them, not one of them uh, was challenged. And that's unacceptable. And they, in that process, created these monopolies. And you write in the book about this, this idea that you quote President Coolidge, uh, who said the business of America is business or something along those lines. But you think that quote was taken out of context a bit. Um, Can you talk more about that? Sure. I, I, you know, what, what I believe President Coolidge was, was talking about is how um, the business in America is the innovation that we've got, is the growth that we have because of our free markets. Is the, um, it's not that we uh, find a, a business. I can remember um, uh, when I was growing up in, in the 70s um, and people would say, what's good for General Motors is good for America. Well, it, you know, it turned out that there were a whole lot of competition from around the world came in because General Motors got big and fat and slow. And we need to make sure that we have that competition in this marketplace uh, so that we don't lose in the artificial intelligence area, that we don't lose in uh, the, the new technologies that are evolving. Well, you received a lot of pushback on this legislation as you were trying to advance it. Uh, can you give us a window into what that was like? What kind of pushback did you hear about? And, and um, you know, take us behind the scenes if you can. Sure. Well, um, these companies didn't darken my doorstep. I didn't hear from these companies directly. They, met, they may have met with a, a few staff members on occasion. And, uh, but, but for the most part, they met with the uh, individuals that were considering uh, supporting this antitrust legislation. And uh, they spent a lot of money 
um, uh, in one month, I think the, the total was somewhere around $36 million that they spent in members' districts with commercials that would, uh, you know, uh, encourage the viewers to call your congressman, tell your congressman that, um, you know, they shouldn't vote for this antitrust legislation. It's, it's against business. It hurts the economy. Um, all these hard workers that it will uh, put out of business and you'll lose these great services that you that you now have. And so um, they have spent um, uh, uh, they're, they're actually the second largest uh, um, contributor uh, in, in, in the political realm um, after big pharma. And uh, they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars over the years on uh, uh, opposing this antitrust legislation because they don't want competition in, in the marketplace. But what they've also done that's really interesting is they have hired the children of uh, members of, of Congress. And it's, it's, it's a dangerous practice. Um, obviously, it's legal. Uh, there's no law or ethics rule against it. But uh, the process of hiring uh, the children of um, members really raises questions about whether they uh, these companies are uh, trying to receive some kind of influence that that is beyond the pale, beyond what's typical in, in political activity. Do you think it should be legal to do something like that? Well, I, I think what... Uh, so I think that uh, the children of members should be free to get jobs. What I think is the, the real problem is the uh, issue of communication between a child and a parent um, who is a member of Congress uh, in a particular area. So, um, you know, at what point do you cut it off? Obviously, um, a, I'm in favor of not allowing members to buy individual stocks or the spouses of members not to buy individual stocks. Um, but how far do you expose, uh, expand that kind of rule? I think the better answer is to make sure that we're exposing the relationships and allowing the voters to make decisions about whether it's important or not and, and whether people should get reelected if they engage in this kind of conduct. Well, let's talk about the politics of this issue a little bit. Um, so you are... Uh, district in Colorado. I was looking at a map of it before we came in, uh, before we started today, and uh, it borders Kansas and Nebraska, um, the eastern part of the state. Uh, where does this issue rank for your constituents versus some of the other things they may be concerned about? Well, so it, it's important that um, and my constituents feel really uh, strongly about uh, the issue of free speech and they feel really strongly about free and fair elections. And so uh, being able to talk to my constituents about antitrust in that context is is relevant and and, uh, and they are animated about uh, the issue. Um, it's also uh, important because I have a, a very large rural district and rural newspapers have been uh, really crushed by the uh, business practices of Google and Facebook. And one of the bills that that uh, we have proposed is a bill that would help uh, rural newspapers and, and allow them to come together and negotiate with these huge monopolies uh, so that they they could get some of their uh, the, the revenue that 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 lost over the over this uh, last period of time and and probably uh, probably a 12-year period of time that, that they have lost uh, a lot of revenue. 
Um, but the uh, so so again, um, when you talk about a small town newspaper, you're talking about the newspaper who covers uh, that covers the uh, the the high school football game that that talks about the July Fourth parade that uh, that really communicates the uh, essence of of, of uh, the activities in, in a small community, and and that that is uh, th- those uh, newspapers are, are central to um, the how how small communities thrive. So I think that um, while it isn't as relevant in in some areas, it it certainly is in the speech and and the newspaper industry. Well, one thing that uh, there are some conservatives, obviously, that are opposed to um, some of your proposals here. And, you know, I, I wonder if this comes up in your district or not. You know, I think I saw you won by uh, a 60% or so, you got about 60% of the vote or so in the last election. So it sounds like a fairly conservative district. And in your book, you, you, you write, for example, that you want government watchdogs to be more like attack dogs. And, you know, often we associate conservatives with being worried about government using its power excessively. So it's interesting to see a conservative write that sentence. Um, what do you think, what, what do you say to conservatives who would be skeptical of these ideas because they worry that your, your, so the solutions you're proposing are giving more power to government? Well, well, Ryan, I disagree with you, first of all. Okay. I think uh, conservatives uh, feel really strongly about the FBI acting as uh, attack dogs um, in in the area of bank robberies or counterterrorism or uh, counterintelligence and and those things. I think the the folks uh, feel very strongly about the Drug Enforcement Administration acting as attack dogs. I think that when you talk about a government function that is, uh, you know, enumerated in the Constitution or is a traditional government function that that the Supreme Court has found is appropriate, we want efficiency in government as conservatives. We want uh, government agencies to do their job, enforce the law fairly, freely, um, impartially, but to uh, act with the kind of vigor that protects, uh, in this case, the marketplace. So when you've got 750 uh, big tech mergers and not one of them is questioned, that's unacceptable. That's that's the job of the FTC and and the Department of Justice Antitrust Division. Um, and so we don't we don't want more government, um, and we don't want inefficient government. But the government that we have should be efficient and should be protecting our economic interests, our public safety. Um, our national security in in a way that that is uh, uh, once we've funded it um, is effective. You know, and I, I think of some some comments I've heard from other conservatives who, th- who are thinking about this tech issue, and I, I wonder if you'd agree with framing it this way: that you know, conservatives are growing increasingly concerned about not only you know the power of government, but also the power of large corporations when they get so large that it could rival the power of government. Is, is that a, a fair summary to place you within that kind of broader conversation in the conservative movement? No, I actually love big corporations as long as they're not monopolies. I love the fact that um, American uh, business people can succeed and can grow um, uh, corporate power. Um, what I don't, um, and I can't, 
abide is is this growth of of corporate power into a monopoly that controls the flow of information um the, you know success is is great an airline that um is is growing and competing and is large uh more power to them same with a bank same with a a car company same with a credit card company all these companies have grown and and they are successful and they're successful around the world and and that success should be celebrated what i object to are monopolies um that won't uh that that make sure that there is no competition so that uh other companies can't uh innovate and disrupt and challenge uh the monopolies and so i think there's a distinction between uh those uh in this country who object to uh large corporate power at which in in some cases is is dangerous but my objection is to the monopoly side of of that large corporate power. If there's a if there's competition in the marketplace, there's you know if nobody dominates more than twenty thirty percent of the air traffic or nobody dominates more than twenty or thirty percent of the banking industry, um, I'm okay with that. Uh, these companies are dominating um, in the eighties and ninety percent uh, percentile, and and that's what I consider dangerous. And why can't we use existing laws to? deal with that problem yeah the, the the real issue is the consumer welfare standard and how it's been interpreted with what i would call the old economy the pre-1970 economy and uh it was interpreted in a way that uh um, used price as one of the uh, primary measures of whether a monopoly was acting to the detriment of consumers so when you go uh, on online and, and you use a search engine, you're not paying for that. And so the courts have found, well, there's no price difference to the consumer. So the consumer is not being harmed. So this isn't an anti-competitive practice. We now have a whole different situation where um, you're giving information about yourself to a company. That company is selling that information and that information then um, is uh, being used uh, in, in advertising uh, products to you. So what, what should happen is search engines should pay consumers to uh, search on their search engine. And you should have a choice every time to say, I, the search engine can, uh, can record this information, can use this information for advertising, or it can't. Um, and then we would get to the point where, uh, we have the, uh, consumer welfare standard that that's appropriate. Now, maybe the courts have heard the public outcry about these monopolies, and maybe the courts start shifting the consumer welfare standard towards the new economy, or maybe uh, we need to uh, pass these bills. And I think we do need to pass these bills to make sure that we have, uh, we move the um, uh, antitrust law into addressing the the problems with the new economy. Part of that, th that scenario then leads us to a conversation about who's going to have the power to enforce if the law is changed. And right now that's Biden administration officials. Lena Khan, for example, the chair of the Federal Trade Commission. Um, how, how do you think they're doing? And you know, to what extent do you sympathize with those on the right? And I'll ask you about some criticism from the left on the second, but maybe one more on this. I mean... How, to what extent do you sympathize with criticism of those on the right who say, wait, we're going to give more power to someone like Chair Khan? Yeah, I don't think we're giving more power. I think what we're doing is we're giving a, a different set of tools in the tool bag 
to address the changes in, in the economy. There are certainly things that some of the Biden administration officials have said um, about uh, some uh, social issues and, and other issues that concern me. I don't want antitrust law to be used uh, to enforce uh, certain views on the environment or certain views on labor or certain views on uh, social issues. I think that uh, antitrust law should be narrowly uh, tailored to antitrust activity. And uh, so so there are some concerns that I share with with my fellow conservatives. Uh, but overall, what we're really doing, and, and it takes a couple of years to ramp up um, an antitrust division or Federal Trade Commission in terms of uh, additional resources, um, those resources will be used ultimately by the next administration. And I hope that uh, America realizes the advantages of uh, hiring a Republican president to run the next administration. Let me ask you also about some criticism that you hear on the left of the positions that you stake out here. You know, obviously you're talking about, you've talked a lot about the speech of conservatives online and how that's treated. What some liberals say about that is, hey, wait a minute, you know, there's a lot of conservative commentators that are very popular on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you know, you mentioned COVID earlier. There was a lot of content shared about, you know, uh, vaccines and masks. And so, you know, where's the problem here? The, this stuff does, this stuff goes viral all the time. And in fact, the liberals will say, we wish it didn't go viral so much. Yeah, well, the, the, the problem is when you look at the details, the devil is always in the details. You know, uh, Congressman Jim Banks from Indiana was deplatformed because he made a, uh, posted a, a, a comment about Time Magazine giving the Woman of the Year award to a biological male. Um, what's what's wrong with that? How does that in, in any way uh, create a dangerous uh, situation? Um, some people might find it offensive. Uh, frankly, there's all kinds of humor that appears on late night TV that, that conservatives and liberals might find offensive. That doesn't mean that it doesn't challenge us to think outside the box on, on how we, uh, should, should view issues. Um, but, but I give in, in this book, Crushed, I give a series of examples about how, uh, these companies have deplatformed people because of their, uh, uh, because of their views and, and views that aren't child pornography, that aren't recruiting terrorists, that aren't selling drugs, that aren't human trafficking. Uh, and, and so I think when you get outside of what we all agree is dangerous, um, uh, it, it's a problem. Now, if there are uh, views out there that have been on uh, these platforms, great. Uh, but the more the merrier. We shouldn't be restricting some views uh, in a subject matter and, and not others. Should there be a difference when it comes to whether that view is being expressed just by, you know, kind of your average post on Twitter or Facebook versus an advertisement. And let me explain that a little bit for viewers. You know, you bring up an example of a, a group that's active on the issue of abortion that um, was not, was advertising on Google uh, and, and then Google had their ads on Google taken down. It isn't, I'd like to press you a little bit on that, I guess. Isn't that, isn't it different, sort of the right to advertise versus the right to speak? And, and should that be treated the same? Yeah. Commercial speech is treated differently um, than political speech. 
But in, in this situation, you've got Planned Parenthood who's allowed to advertise, allowed to inform on platforms. And then you had a pro-life group who's not allowed to advertise or inform. And I think that discrimination, um, it, whether it's whether it is um, uh, per se a violation of the Constitution or not, because these are private companies. So I, I don't think that that um, unless they're directed to do so by government, that that uh, it is necessarily unconstitutional. But it's also something that uh, people should know about. Um, so that people can make a decision as to whether they uh, want to uh, allow their kids to use these platforms or the, whether they use these platforms and, and how they do business. And so I think it's important to, to spread the word on these companies discriminate against conservative views. And, you know, these companies would obviously say they aren't making decisions based on political bias specifically, um, but that they're sort of operating within the terms and conditions that they set out. You know, often they're not uh, the best at telling people about why things get taken up or down, but I feel like we should state that for the record. But let me come back to something you just said about the role of government in interacting with these companies as they make these decisions, which, you know, I think you've acknowledged can sometimes be difficult about where the line is, uh, taking something up, leaving it down, letting it go viral or not. Is, is it appropriate for the government to be involved at all in interacting with social media companies? Or are you saying that that interaction really shouldn't exist? And one of the reasons I ask that is you, know, you could imagine a scenario where there is a threat to public safety that they might want to talk to the companies about. Um, but then how do you define that? You know, COVID was arguably a threat to public safety, and as you pointed out, you know, there are public emails that show this. The White House really was leaning on these social media companies about COVID and their policies toward COVID content. Um, so how do you balance that, the role of government in interacting with social media? Well, I think it's already been balanced. Um, you know, there is clear case law that says that, that government can um, prevent or stop um, a, a clear and present danger, something that is going to, if someone gets up, and um, advocates, uh, you know, the destruction of a police department um, across the street from a police department and starts handing out guns, um, government, law enforcement can stop that from happening. Um, that's, that's clearly different than um, do masks prevent uh, COVID? Do these vaccines prevent COVID? Um, is it wrong to uh, disseminate uh, statistics um, from the Center for Disease Control about the efficacy of, of vaccines. Is that wrong? And, and so I think that uh, government can interact with these platforms um, in the same way that it could act uh, directly if it were uh, to face a, a danger. Well, let's look forward a little bit. What are the chances of any of this legislation passing this year, given that we've now got divided government? Well, uh, you know, we had a bipartisan uh, support in the House and Senate before. Uh, we're going to have a bi bipartisan support in the House and Senate going forward in this Congress. Uh, I think that there's a good chance that some of these bills pass. Uh, we came very close to passing the uh, Journalism Competition Preservation uh, Act in uh, the omnibus, uh, no, maybe it was the uh, defense authorization bill, um, this last uh, Congress, and I think that uh, some of these bills are popular. 
and and will pass with divided government. And have you had any conversations with leaders in the House yet, the new Republican leadership, whether it be uh, Jim Jordan, who's going to chair the House Judiciary Committee, or Speaker McCarthy? You know, both of them threw some cold water on some of these ideas the last Congress and, and were opposed to some of the proposals you're talking about. Um, have you had any conversations with them, and what were those like about this topic? Um, I, I'm not going to talk about my private conversations with them, but I will say that um, both of them talked about the fact that um, it would make more sense to do these bills in a Republican conference, uh, in a Republican Congress, where we could uh, have uh, more input on how the bills were drafted and, and put together. And I, I believe uh, that wasn't just an excuse. And so I look forward to working with my Republican colleagues on uh, legislation uh, in this area, in the antitrust area, not 230, not privacy necessarily, but in the antitrust area that we can move forward on and, and make sure that we are um, helping promote competition in the marketplace so we don't have the issue that we're facing now with the uh, flow of information uh, being controlled by monopolies. Do you know yet whether you're going to be uh, in charge of that antitrust subcommittee that's so active on this? I do not know that yet. Um, we've just populated the committees this past week. Um, I think in the next couple of weeks, we're going to learn about the subcommittee chairs. Um, I don't even know if judiciary is going to be structured the same way around the same issues. I, I do know that there will be an investigation of uh, the FBI and federal law enforcement and, and uh, its role in the last few years. Um, and so I don't know if uh, resources are going to be taken away from different uh, subject matters uh, and put into that or, or just how that's going to work. Well, Congressman, it's really been a pleasure talking with you uh, today and getting into some of these issues. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's Afterwards podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to C-SPAN's podcast about books. Learn about the latest nonfiction books and best-selling authors. In each episode, we report on bestsellers' lists and book reviews from around the country. You'll also hear authors talking about their latest books and insider interviews with nonfiction book publishing industry experts. 